Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Ready to Redo. So today is a wholesome episode about how to get students to respect you in a healthy, long-term, sustainable way. As I explained in this episode, there's a lot of things I've trialed with that have worked with students and getting them to have, or at least creating a very healthy relationship between us. And so I'm not going to babble any longer. Here are the tips and advice that I have that hopefully you can apply whether you're working in the classroom or just with young people or even adults, it will probably come in handy. So let's jump into it. Hey everyone, welcome back. So this is a very, very common question with educators, teachers, tutors, which is, how do I get students to respect me? Or how do I get students to listen to me? And I have so many thoughts and advice about this, things that I have applied and trialed in the classroom to see, you know, what sticks with the students and what doesn't. So I have a lot of information about that, um, what is effective, what I have problems with that I believe (laughs) they're just not going to result in any sort of long-term sustainable respect between student and teacher. And this is not going to rely on things like authority or fear because those are the very things that I think are resulting in really shoddy or like really very impaired relationships between teachers and students. And that's why that respect isn't there. So not things like I'm your teacher, therefore listen to me or being really scary like my (coughs) Latin teacher. Um, It was just a frightening experience. But first of all, though, do you appreciate this? Yay! If, if you're on the um, YouTube version, it makes a lot more sense, but if you're on audio, I've just cut out some letters ready to redo that I put on the cork board. It took me like half an hour. Oh my god, I'm such a... take ages to do things. But uh, yeah, and I thought at one point that the I, I did it wrong because I thought the camera reversed the screen so everything would be in reverse too. This was actually... Um, I filmed it. I was trying to trial it, but this is what it looked like. Will it be, uh... But yeah, all is well, that was fine. Um, But I just feel like I need a disclaimer, especially if you haven't come across Ready to Do... Redo... Oh, God, I've stuffed up my own title. Ready to Redo before. I'm Jo, and I have been asked by students, by people who just look at me strangely and go, your face just doesn't reflect what your mouth is saying and all of that. So yes, I do realize I look 15 or so and that why is a person who's in high school talking about education in hindsight? But yes, I am 23. I am 23. And as a little fun story though, this was during COVID last year, had my mask on me. So it's just my eyeballs and my head. And I walked into a liquor store and the guard straight up, obviously just asked me, Hey, can I have your ID? And I gave it to him. He looked at it and he just started laughing, like, what the hell? And he just gives it back. He's like, ha 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 ha, I thought you were 13. And yeah, that's my life. But the reason, anyway, on a tangent, the reason why I thought to make this episode in the first place is from things that I've overheard from educators in general. I will say, though, in the minority, however, it happened quite more often than I thought it would. So I would overhear a lot of teachers say or explicitly tell me, I don't care if students don't like me. It's about respect, meaning I only care that they respect me. And 
<laughs> when I heard that, I my my blood would boil. Like it would just be like, what do you mean? Because in my head, I can't comprehend to respect someone. It, it works hand in hand with liking someone. Like you can't expect that someone would respect you and not like you, and and vice versa. Like you would need to like someone to respect them. I have, though, heard, um, I've talked to this with friends and they've said, but, you know, like, I have a boss that I don't like, but I respect them. And I can totally say that that is valid, for sure. But it's in a very different context of school. So in work, first of all, you know why you're there. You chose to be there, first of all. So you chose to be in this company, to work with this boss that you don't like, but you respect. You also get paid to be there, so you have an incentive to deal with the person that you dislike but respect. And also third is that as adults, at least we have a better capability of empathizing and being like, oh, well, I guess I don't like this boss, but they do, you know, I do give them a lot of problems and issues and they have to solve it, which makes sense because they're my boss, so you can sort of empathize at least with their situation and what they have to do. Whereas if we were to compare that to school, first of all, students don't choose to be there. This environment is where they have to be. So of course they're going to try and project and and use this classroom as an outlet, which is going to be harder to control. And also they don't have an incentive to be there too. Um, And it's pretty hard for kids to, you know, be like, oh, yes, no, my teacher is having, you know, really burnt out. She or he is just going through a lot right now. All I got to do is just be a little bit more quiet and respect that. Like, is that going to happen realistically with students and the developing ego and empathy? You know, I- I'm not too sure. So I think the way that we need to gain respect from students is in is going to be a little bit differently from adult contexts. So the first first major thing that I would say to gain respect from students is to treat them like adults. And in my placements and when I'm conversing or conversing, oh my god, my old English. Um <laughs> excuse me. When I'm talking with just people that I'm tutoring and people have commented and said, Joe, how do you get students to like you or how do you get them to respect you like that? And I always tell people it's because I talk to them like adults. I communicate to them like adults, how I would anybody else. So I actually then go on to talk about voice and the way that I communicate through my voice, but now editing it, I think it's actually more what I expect from these students and and that's how I treat them really like adults. So I treat them like people who have a lot of knowledge already in their life, even, you know, they're adolescents, but I just don't try and assume that they don't know just because they're younger and just having high expectations in terms of them being capable of having conversations about complex topics. And if that's not the case, which probably a lot of the time it won't be, it's just a chance then to explain things that they don't understand and then educating like that. And so what's an example of that? For example, the voice that I use. So when I'm talking to students, I will talk to a student how I would anybody else, like zero to 200 years old. Like I will talk in this voice that I'm podcasting with to everyone. 
And that hasn't always been the case. So in high school, um, I was in a drama play. I did drama a lot. It was great. And the director's son was there and he was four years old or something. And I had that, you know, that coddly voice that you would talk to babies with or young children with. It's sort of like, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, let's go play. No, that's a terrible example. I'm sorry I did that. Uh, but you, you know that voice. And so I would do that with the kid. I would, you know, play around with him. And there was one time when this girl came up to me from the cast and just said, Joe, is it all right if you just didn't talk like that to him? It just makes me uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, God. Like, it did not even occur to me. Like, what, what's wrong? And she said that when she was in primary school, when she was in high school, teachers, adults would talk to her in a different way, sort of like this coddly voice, because she was behind in classes, like academically behind in classes. And a lot of teachers would talk in that, oh, you don't understand that? Like, no worries. Let's just go over it again. You know, that overly emphatic sort of animated way of talking that you wouldn't talk to with an adult because that would be full-on condescending and rude. And that's what she felt. So she felt like that growing up. And she, I, I noticed when she talked to this kid that she was always talking how she would us and adults. And it just never occurred to me that the way that I was talking could be perceived as condescending. And yeah, it's true. I don't want anyone to ever feel dumb or anyone to ever feel like I'm talking down to them. And there have been teachers and there still are teachers which have that voice of, you know, it's not conversational. It's more like talking at, which I would just flag and say it's underestimated how much your voice can impact your relationship with a student. But that's just one small, you know, factor of treating them like adults. Another one, okay, this one is something that I got very triggered with in the classroom. And this is the countdown. So before explaining the countdown, I just want to flag that I do later in the episode talk about these problems stemming from how school's structured and not necessarily how teachers, you know, I'm not trying to trash teachers because it is really, really hard to work in the restrictions that they have. So teachers, you are important. You are selfless, at least most of you. And yeah, I'm not trying to trash you. If you're like, what do you mean? What is countdown? Okay, let me do a demonstration. Okay, can I get everyone's attention in three, two, one? Yeah, that one. And the first time I heard that, I just went, oh God, not, no. And when I would tell my friends, they would also just cringe and immediately go, oh God, don't do that. And it just baffles me because I would never like imagine imagine in a workplace your boss just going okay everyone three two people would mentally cancel that boss like if they can't employees can't fire their bosses so they would just mentally just eliminate that boss from their life it's disrespectful (laughs) it's considered disrespectful it's considered rude So I don't understand why we're doing that to students and expecting that to be a viable way of gaining respect and gaining attention from these students. Because if I don't treat an adult like that, why would I with a student? Same with this other technique, which is 
to call out or, or internal dialogue of, of sussing out the class. So, for example, oh, yeah, okay, I can see that Amanda is staring at me. Great job, Amanda. Um, I can see, yes, good, Tony's got his laptop 45 degrees. Great. Just waiting on, you, you know, like that, like being able to call out and say what you see in front of you. I have a few issues with that as well just because I find that to be a very um, passive-aggressive way of gaining people's attention, which is sort of calling out what you see and praising what you see, which is, of course, fine, but but trying to get the memo across to people who aren't concentrating and expecting them to respect you by saying that. And I know, okay, I can already tell that if you're a teacher listening to this, you may be seething and just being like, have you seen my classes? Like, they are chaotic as hell. Yes, no, I have seen chaotic classes and I totally understand and totally valid. Um, Because, yeah, what alternatives do you have when you're trying to get like 30 students' attention? It's crazy and you will have to have that strict voice. You will have to call people out. And, yes, you will have to count down perhaps. But that, that should be like ultimate last like saving grace. Joke on English. She meant last resort. One technique that I find is really effective is to flag to students before I need to get their attention. As in, if I'm trying to get their attention, it must mean that there was um, independent study or, or class discussion or something. So I will actually go table to table, you know, wander around and just say, hey, head, heads up, uh, we're going to be going back as a class in five minutes or so. So just letting you know. So that they're mentally prepared so when you actually do call them together as a group that they are aware and they won't be actively working against you because you've just told them, you've explicitly told them and they've agreed upon it. And then if that doesn't work out, then I start swearing at the education system policymakers who, by the way, aren't even teachers or have even done anything related to teaching, but they make classes so restrictive that now I have to raise my voice and get the students' attention. Amanda, stop eating that lollipop! But what I found that also works is to say, okay, okay, I can understand that everyone's had, you know, like a rough day or just came back from recess or lunch. And just to first disclaimer that, yeah, I get you. I get where you're coming from. Let's just try and turn it down and blah, 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 blah. So that is another approach I use and one that you can apply and see if it works. So other things I have issues with that I don't believe are treating students like adults is lining up. Okay, I have issues with that. I remember having to line up as a primary school student. Uh, I don't think I've practiced that skill much since then. But in some schools, I know that they have to line up outside of the class. And until they are in an orderly line, then they can come into class. And I, again, like, if I don't do that to uni students, if I don't do that to people like adults in the workplace, I don't see the need to do that for students in high school or primary school. I do get, I do get the idea of chaos and control and having like, you know, discipline to an extent. I get that. But just in what way? Are we sacrificing class time to make sure that they're in orderly lines or should we just start the class? Some questions I just want to put out there. But the thing I always go back to is, would I say this or do this to an adult? And if the answer's no, 
then I would need to heavily reconsider what I'm saying and doing to these students. And I totally, totally get it again that classrooms are chaotic. They're pretty chaotic and I've seen it and I have gotten anxiety from it for sure. And I think it is extremely hard for teachers to actually, you know, control a classroom because of the restrictions that we have in terms of regulations, like the fact that students don't have freedom to do what they want when they want and to learn what they want when they want. And so if we were to go from the other end, instead of having to deal with, you know, like trying to please a system that doesn't even work, if we were to go to the other side, like what should we change in the education system to get students to listen more and to respect their teachers more? Because teachers don't like to, at least for me, I don't like to tell students to shut up. I don't, that's not my job. You know, my job is to teach them and make learning fun. But how is that possible in such a constricted curriculum? So things for the system to improve on is to get students to have more responsibilities. Going back to the idea of treat students like adults, give them actual responsibilities, like give them projects where their result of their project will actually affect someone. So for example, your project could be that you are creating art for this aged care center and they've requested this and this and this and they have all these, you know, requests of what to for you to make. So your grade, your meaningful work is actually going to affect this aged care. It might be hung up on the wall or something. So you need to make sure that your work, which is meaningful, is finished and if you don't do it, then the responsibility is onto you, that you have a consequence of not meeting or not making the old people happy. So by including more project-based work in schools, that can at least increase the meaningful work for the students and therefore they understand why they're learning something and they're more likely to listen to the teacher because the teacher will give them, you know, valuable information about how to complete that task. Because if anything, the the overall goal that I'm hoping to achieve is that in schools, learning is an organic thing or learning is something that children will actually choose to do in school. Whereas right now, there is a huge resistance for that. <laughs> like, at least personally, from my experiences, I did not want to learn because I was force-fed what to learn and when to do it and how to do it. And the other way to gain respect from students, apart from just treating them like adults and communicating them like adults, is to treat them like humans. And I'm sorry if that sounds condescending or, you know, because it's so, it makes sense. But honestly, I just mean that from a very, yeah, point of view, <laughs> which is, I think we're neglecting this. We're really neglecting it, even though it sounds so obvious. But incorporating well-being into the classroom or into our teaching is super important. And so things like meeting basic human needs for the students, and I've dedicated an episode to well-being, as well as to the topic of punishment and why I don't think that punishment, like detentions, suspensions, uh, shaming, all of that, how that's a band-aid effect and that we are not targeting the main reason why they're feeling, why they're acting out. And so if we were to focus really on the fact that if we can make them happy, if we can make sure that they feel safe and secure and happy, then all of this rebellion, all of this talking and and getting the teachers riled up 
will not happen because the students feel comfortable with themselves. And so, for example, if a student's not doing work in class and, you know, like you say, like, pick up that pen, like, why aren't you focusing? Like, that won't happen usually. But to approach it from the other end, which is, oh, you know, maybe they had a really shit day yesterday or this morning or we have no idea what's happening in their personal lives. And I just imagine treating them like a friend, like, oh, there are some issues that you're experiencing and trying to basically connect with this student before trying to correct what they're doing. So it might look like, oh, okay, I can see that, you know, you're not concentrating as much as usual. Is there something I should be aware of? Or is there like, what would you prefer to do now? Like just making sure that that relationship is still intact, because that is the most important thing that a teacher can have is to be a a supportive person who really cares about you, like the student, because once that's established, it's really, really important. And that student will really appreciate it. Um, There was this thing, yeah, from Brene Brown. She's a absolutely amazing researcher, speaker, who talks about shame, vulnerability, all of that. And I was listening to a video just last night about how in the classroom she says to the teachers and she stresses to the teachers, please don't shame students, like writing the names on the board if they're not um, focusing or, you know, calling the names out. Because she said that if you were to shame someone That breaks the bond between you and that person, and it also prevents that person from now being vulnerable. It's like a biological resistance. As soon as we feel shame, we feel less okay to be ourselves and less okay to, you know, less secure in the environment. So if anything, again, it's so super important to just cultivate that um, and just making sure that they feel seen and heard before you comment on their behavior. And the last thing I want to talk about, which is effective with students, is to behavior manage with humor. And what I mean by that is humor is a great way to communicate with people. It's uh, lighthearted, it's playful, and it's a great de-escalation tactic too. Uh, For example, in a chemistry class, I saw a student do a very, very bad OHNS hazard, which is to kneel on the um, stools on top of the table. And it was super dangerous. He was really tall up. And I was like, oh shit, what do I do? Because if I say, hey, get down from there, he might just feel resistance to that. And uh, so what I did instead was I just walked up to him and very friendly and just playfully said, hey, what's it like up there? And he just looks down at me and he's like, oh yeah. And that's it. He just said, oh yeah. And then just got off the seat and sat back down. There was not much I had to say at all. I just said, what's it like up there? To just point out that I'm not okay with you doing that, but I'm not going to shame you or make you feel shit by doing that. I'm just trying to establish what is, you know, expected in the classroom. And so humor is a great way. I think humor is a skill. If you are in your mind right now saying, I'm not a funny person or I don't think I can use humor in how I communicate, it is a skill. And just trying every day, even YouTubing, I'm sure that there is a YouTube video on how to be more funny or how to include include humor in my everyday language. Whatever it is, it is achievable. And I think that is it. 
Um, I hope that really helps in terms of finding more organic long-term strategies to get students to respect you and like you and not have to rely on things like fear and authority. And yeah, I will see you next week. Bye.